Morning. Good to see you all. Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Revelation. We're going to do a little review today because uh, it's been a while. And uh, we move into kind of a different section of the book. Revelation chapter 6. Um, it may be good for all of us, but especially if you miss the very first message in the Revelation series to go back and listen to that. I understand that some of you forget what I said five minutes after the sermon's over, so maybe that would be good for all of us. Um, it was good for me this week to go back and read through that. Some of those key principles in interpreting the book, as we've said, it's not an easy book to interpret, um, particularly kind of this middle section, and so we want to apply the principles that we talked about. We want to take the book on its own terms, let the Bible itself dictate how we interpret it, that this is a particular genre of scripture, prophetic uh, uh, idiom, prophetic vision, similar to the prophets in the Old Testament. So just a suggestion, but let's read together uh, Revelation 6, 1 through 17. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people would slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When I opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were give, each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I look, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us 
and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Let's pray. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who can stand? Certainly not us, Lord, apart from your grace. We ask your forgiveness for our sins. We trust that you abundantly pardon through the blood of Jesus. But we come weary sinners. We come needing your grace. We come needing your word. We come needing direction. We come needing needing our lights and our lamps brightened. We come as unsalty people needing to be resalinated and sent out into the world. So please forgive us, help us, encourage us, give us grace. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us today through your holy, inerrant, inspired word, and that you would transform us, that we would walk out different than when we came in. Help me, Lord, to be faithful. We ask all this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Okay, a little review for you. First things first, we're studying Revelation. Singular, one, not many. Now, there may be a book called Revelations out there. It's not in the Bible. And if you come across that book, you probably, you might not want to read it, uh, to be honest with you. Um, the word apocalypse, which is the word in the Greek that we translate revelation, we tend to think it means big battle. It doesn't. Apocalypse means to reveal, to unveil. And it's the unveiling, the revealing of who? Jesus Christ. God has given us a gift. He has pulled back the curtain of heaven in this book of Revelation, and he's showing us the exalted Christ. He's showing us the true nature of reality. So not necessarily what we can see, what, what things appear to be, but what they are. True spiritual reality. And I wanted to preach this book because it's been used to scare so many Christians, and that makes me mad. Does that make anybody else mad? I don't like that. Because that's the opposite of what it was given to do. It was given to comfort you, to make you strong, to give you hope. Despite appearances, God is in complete control. Some Christians need to be reminded that Revelation is not an end times trivia puzzle for you to put together in your garage while you listen to Carmen. This is not here for you to nerd out on and then yell at your friends. That's not the point. How many Christians, or maybe not Christians, have missed that? This is here for my book, garage bulletin board to work out. I've got pins, you know, push pins in there. I'm figuring it all out, deciphering the code. That's not the point. It's given to you so you would persevere in the battle and stick with Jesus until the end. This is what we miss. This is what a lot of people miss. We're in a battle. Now, in the West, it doesn't feel like that always, and that's one of Satan's great tricks. It's to make us think 
We're in peacetime. No, we're in wartime. And we need this book if we're going to persevere, if we're going to get home. We're almost home. You know, it's much harder to obey Revelation than to understand it. Do you believe that? Blessed is the one who hears and keeps these words. That's the promise of chapter 1. Blessed. It's hard. It's not easy to hear it and keep it. But that's what we want to do. That's what we're asking God for. So as we move into God's plan for history between Jesus' ascension and his return, remember the last two chapters. You've got to keep coming back to chapter 4. God is creator. God on the throne. Chapter 5, the lamb who was slain is standing. He is worthy to take the scroll. You have to remember that when things get crazy, and they're getting crazy. What is the scroll? It symbolizes God's secret plan uh, of history for salvation and judgment. So within the scroll is salvation and judgment from the time of Jesus' ascension to his return. Um, That's why it's really good news that someone was able to open it. That's why John was weeping when no one was found to be worthy because we need this scroll to be open. This is God's plan. This is... This is what's happening right now, before his return. So Jesus begins by opening the seals on the edge of the scroll. So this is as close to a prop as you're ever going to get from me, so enjoy it. So in that day, a scroll would be rolled up like this, okay? And then on the edge, there would be a seal holding it shut. Wax, hot wax put on it. So there's seven in this case. And Jesus is peeling off the seals and eventually will open the scroll. Okay, never doing that again. That's it. That's what the scroll is. That's the big thing here. That's the content of history between ascension and return. Each of the seven seals reveals something preliminary. Okay, a beginning, a prelude, a taste, a preview of judgment. Um, the trumpets follow the seals. They escalate the judgments. Then come the bowls. They complete the judgment. So if you can memorize seals, trumpets, bowls, seals, trumpets, bowls, that will help you because there's a, there's a progression. There's an escalation there as we go through these chapters. Um, and remember, these are events that have happened, are happening, and will happen until the end have happened, they are happening, they will happen, repeating, escalating until the last battle, until the final judgment, until the resurrection, until the new heavens and the new earth. So if you think about it this way, this is how things are going. There's repetition, but there's also escalation. Things are getting more intense, especially at the end. But it's not one particular thing in, in, in most of these chapters that we're looking for and trying to de- decipher. It's wars that repeat themselves. It's famines that repeat themselves. Okay, it's earthquakes. It's, it's judgments coming upon the earth. Preliminary, 
shadows and foretastes of the final judgment. So let's look at each seal one by one. Uh, the seventh seal doesn't come till chapter 8, so we only have six today. Look at verse 1 with me, the first seal. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, so the number seven symbolizing wholeness, completeness. Um, we want to look at numbers that way because that seems to be the way God wants us to look at them from the text. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. This is the famous passage giving us the four horsemen of the apocalypse, if you've heard of that. I Googled it this week. Uh, don't do that. It's, <clears throat> it's, not, uh, like, it's not a happy image uh, that most people have created. Uh, these are not nice ponies. These are not the horses girls asked for on their 10th birthday. Uh, uh, daddy, daddy, please, can I have a, a pony soaked in blood? I want it red, okay? This is not that pony. These are scary. Um, these are mean. And it's not that you're going to literally see a black rider going down the street. They're symbolic for God's judgment coming upon an, a world in rebellion against him. What I want you to notice that it's God not Satan, not the Antichrist, not an earthly dictator. It's God calling the shots. God is giving the orders. The living creatures are speaking for God in his throne room. He is sending the riders. Each one is what? Given power and authority. They are permitted to do what they do. God is calling the shots. Total control, what seems like chaos to us, what is happening in the world? Total order and control in heaven. And before we get into each seal, it's important to say that these judgments are not being unleashed on you, God's people. You are not being punished. Now, we may be affected by them. We may suffer because of them and be purified and refined sanctified through suffering, which we know is one of God's great purposes in suffering. But it's tangential. It's just because we were a part of this world. It's not that God is pouring out judgment on you, his people. No. Where has the judgment against you been already poured out? On the cross. There is no more judgment for you. There is no more wrath for you if you are in Christ. So we may be affected by them, but this is God's judgment of the wicked, of the wicked world. He is allowing human depravity just to express itself. <laughs> this is, you know, sometimes we, we, it's hard for us to think about, you know, hell or wrath or, you know, God just kind of being uh, mean-spirited. But in one sense, he's just taking the safety off the gun. Mankind has had his finger on the trigger and been trying to pull it forever. All God has to do is take the safety off, and we get what we want, which is war, violence, pain, all the bad in the world. It's mankind's fault. 
Don't blame this on God. He just takes his hand back a little bit from, from restraining the evil in people's hearts. And that's judgment. So, white horse. What is the white horse? This is wrongful military conquest. A crown, a leader, a bow, military aggression, a white horse. In that day, a conquering leader would uh, ride on a white horse through the capital after their victory. Julius Caesar did this in Rome, symbolic of I've conquered, riding a white horse. These are leaders throughout history indulging their lust for more. More power, more land, more money through war. Jesus told us that nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. This is the white horse. Second seal. The lust for conquest leads to violence. Verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people, could, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. The red horse symbolizing blood. People not just killing, but slaughtering each other. I saw that roughly 230 million people were killed through violence and war in the 20th century alone. 230 million. Right now, as we speak, there's roughly 30 active wars going on. Armed conflicts. This is what Jesus meant when he said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars in the end times. But what did he say next? (laughs) Don't be alarmed. This must take place. The end is not yet. Christians are the only people who can look at the war, the violence, in the world, dead in the eye, and not be alarmed. You are the only people who have reason to read the newspaper with compassion and also confidence, with sadness at what you see, but also hope. You're the only people who have that ability. You have a reason to do that. Everyone else should be scared. You should be alarmed if you don't know Jesus. If you don't believe in a God who's in control, why wouldn't you be? Obviously, it feels like chaos. What is the point? But not us. We never, ever have to panic. Ever. I don't care what the headline is. Jesus told us he wouldn't have said that. He said he wouldn't he would have said, "You know what? Don't be alarmed unless but he didn't. Don't be alarmed, don't panic. Period. Why? Because you know what causes it. Sin. You know who's in control of it. God, and you know where it's heading. All things made new. Why would we ever panic? It brings glory to God when the worst things happen and we respond with compassion but also confidence. 
sadness, but hope. Third seal. Conquest and violence have consequences. There's a progression happening here. Conquest, violence, what happens next? When he opened the third seal, I heard the living third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. The black horse, what does it symbolize? Sorrow, mourning, because of war. This rider has scales in his hand. In the ancient world, that symbolized justice. One of the consequences of war is famine. Uh, inflation hits food prices because there's less supply. An army comes through and burns a field, uh, takes up the food supply. Just it, it, There's a chain reaction when you have war. And these prices that are, these food prices that are set here are roughly 10 times the normal rate in the first century in the ancient world. So there's inflation. Jesus said in Mark 13, there will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. So war has brought the injustice of high food prices, especially for the poor. Because of a six-year civil war in Yemen, 2.3 million children are starving right now. One of them dies every 10 minutes. They have nothing to eat because of war. We're in the last hour. We're in the end. This is not just past. It's not just future. This is now. God trying to get the attention of a deaf world. Please listen. In this case, he specifies that famine, inflation are allowed to affect wheat and barley, kind of food staples, but not oil and wine. Now, some see this as God limiting the judgment, restraining it. Some see it as a poor-rich dynamic, so the poor don't get any bread, but the rich keep drinking their wine. It could be either. Well, it's hard to say. But let me just say this. As God's people, when we encounter scarcity, whether that's food, gas, heat, uh, bicycles, you know, whatever you can't get or is becoming harder to get, our reaction, our instinct should not be to stock up. Our instinct should not be to hoard resources. Our instinct should not be, let me get mine before you get yours. Because I'm just being wise. I'm just protecting my family. Okay, friend, if that's the way that you're thinking, be careful that you're not deceiving yourself. And really, it's just baptized selfishness. Make sure that it's not really fear driving your decisions and not faith or love for your neighbor. Because often that's what causes scarcity, is we make a run on the bank or we make a run on the store because I got to get mine. If you hear, if you read an article that 
you know, coffee's in short supply, and you're like, babe, we're going to Costco tonight. We're going to get this done. Boom. 20 bags of coffee because I need my coffee. That's a problem in your heart. It's more uh, Darwinist than it is Christian. Do you see that? Survival of the fittest. Survival of the, the wisest. So if we can't pass the test when there's a little bit of scarcity, when we live in such abundance, what happens when there's actual real scarcity? How are we going to pass that test? Just think of it from the lesser to the greater. If we can't do it when it's lesser, there's a little bit of a gas issue. How are we going to do it when it's real scarcity? I have a pastor friend who had the privilege of spending some time with a pastor from Cuba. We talk about a different world, okay? Every day for him, what occupies most of his time is looking for food. He's a pastor, but he's spending most of his time just trying to find food for that day for his family. Government controls the food supply. Government controls wages. You can't even send him food or money directly if you wanted to because the government will seize it. You think you're tempted now to act in selfishness? Put yourself in that environment. Well, I, don't, I hope it never comes, but this is a test of our hearts, no matter what the circumstances. And you know what his response was? You know what he said? This is really hard. We pray to God and we ask him for mercy, but he always gives us what we need. So I wonder if we just prayed and watched what God would do rather than taking matters always into our own hands. I got to figure it out. I got I to gotta make sure we don't get too low on this or that. Fourth seal. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. In the Greek, this is like a green, ashy color. It's just kind of nasty, like nobody buys clothes in this color. Honestly, it's the color people can turn when they die. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. The result of conquest, war, plague, and animal predators is death. These are the beginnings of the final judgment. Like Noah's flood, like Sodom and Gomorrah, like the destruction of Jerusalem. Previews. Previews of what's coming. Fifth seal. Now the focus shifts from earth to heaven, from those dwelling on the earth to those martyred, Dwelling in heaven. Verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out in a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then there each were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So many amazing things here. This is just an amazing passage. 
Um, let me highlight three that I find amazing. One, I don't know how many of us will be killed for our faith, but that's what we should all be preparing for. That's what we should be ready for. If they did it to Jesus, be ready for the world to do it to you. Don't think you're better than him. (laughs) Have you thought about that? Have you prayed about that? Lord, if it comes to it, when it comes to it, I'm ready to die for you. I I would rather die for you than deny you. Give me strength. Give me courage in that hour to do what's right, not what's easy. I want to bring glory to your name, whether by life or by death. And maybe your death would bring him glory. Maybe your death for the testimony of the word of God and the gospel. Look at me. If you haven't prepared for that moment beforehand, you will flinch. If you haven't decided in your heart that you are ride or die with Jesus Christ, when evil men knock on your door, it will be much harder to do what's right. It will be much easier to do what's easy. Is this something we all should be praying about? You don't know anything about tomorrow. You don't know anything. I don't care what your phone says. You don't know anything about tomorrow. Are you ready? Are you praying when that knock comes? And it may come. I have decided. I don't care what you do to me. I don't care what happens to me. My home is in heaven. That's my citizenship. That's where I'm going. Do your worst. If you haven't decided, you flinch. So decide. These saints did. Killed for the word of God. They bore testimony doesn't mean you're out street preaching. It just means I'm a Christian. That's who I am. People may hate you just because of that. No other reason. They may kill you. Second thing I find amazing. Perfect, sinless saints in heaven are begging God for vengeance. Uh, This is the only prayer of supplication in the book of Revelation, and it's not, Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, save them. It is, Lord, we want justice. They are respectfully yelling at God for justice. They are tapping their watches. How long, Lord? How long do we have to wait for you to do justice? Vengeance. It's not personal revenge. It's public justice. It's what's right. It's lex talionis. It is is retribution. Punishment fits the crime. They're saying, Lord, fulfill Psalm 79. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations. 
Lord, fulfill Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That's what they're saying. Here's what this means. When you are free from sin in heaven, there will be a passion for justice that mirrors God's passion for justice. You will not have mixed feelings about wanting God to bring justice and wrath upon those who spit in his face, killed his people, and trampled his glory. You're going to be in sync with God. Just like these saints are. You will be holy as he is holy. There will be no more tension. (laughs) See, from the perspective of heaven, from the perspective of revelation, there are only two categories of people, the righteous and the wicked. That's it. With God or against him. When we get there, we will understand more deeply how serious sin is. How bad it really is. We just can't feel it like he feels it right now and and never in the same exact way as God but as much as we can we will feel it and we will want his glory to be vindicated with all our heart and it's not a question of if it's a question of when third thing in response to their pleading God says be patient that's amazing You're in heaven. I thought the patient thing was over. He says, be patient. You're with the risen Jesus, and yet the fullness of all the glory that God has for you is is not there yet. It's not full. It's not done. Somehow, being in heaven before Jesus returns is the beginning. It's the beginnings of glorification. It's wonderful, it's better, far better, like Paul says, than being here. I'd rather be with the Lord, that's better. But we're still waiting for things. They are still waiting for things. Like what? A glorified creation. Glorified bodies. Who's ready for that? Yeah, I am. I'm turning 40. I'm like, give it to me. I'm ready. Why do I wake up and things hurt? Don't say anything if you're 60. Don't say anything. It's hard being 41. We're still waiting. Exile of all evil from this world. We're still waiting for a wedding. Do you remember what Jesus said? I'm not going to drink wine again until my kingdom comes in full and all my people are at the table with me. And we're going to drink it together. He's waiting for us. Talk about uh, (laughs) uh, pleasure delayer, like willing to wait. It's amazing. Jesus is waiting millennia to drink wine again in the kingdom with us because he's waiting for his bride, people that he loves. He says, no, we're not going to do this until everyone's here, everyone's home. Brothers and sisters, we're waiting for more members of the family, the elect, to come home. There are children being born today who Jesus died for. 
We've got to get the gospel to them. We've got to get the gospel to them. They're supposed to be there. They're spo- they have a seat reserved at the table. That meal hasn't happened yet. The saints in heaven right now, though, they haven't had it. They're waiting. Tapping their watches. How long? How long before we feast and rejoice and celebrate? And how long before evil is dealt with? Comprehensively. Sixth seal. Here John has shown a glimpse a glimpse, it's a zoom forward to the judgment that the martyrs are pleading for, the final judgment. So this is something I believe that has not happened yet. The great day of wrath, verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. Now, I don't think that's probably literal. I think a black sun is symbolizing mourning. Because the old earth is coming to an end. The new earth is coming. The full moon became like blood. Again, probably, I think not literally. Symbolizing judgment. Blood. Drawn from Joel chapter 2. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Drawn from Isaiah 34. All this is Old Testament. All this is prophets. Stars falling like trees shed their leaves in the fall when the wind blows. I think symbolizing the winter of God's wrath has come. The season of the earth is over as it was. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. If the world at creation was like a a scroll rolled out, okay, now it's being rolled up. This is an image, okay, to understand. So God spread it out in creation. Now he's rolling it back up on the last day. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. I think like you cut down trees and you move dirt and you flatten the earth when you're about to build something new. That's what God's doing. He's building something new. And it's an image, it's a symbol to, to help you understand it's, it's, you know, just about everything is passing away. And something new is coming. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? We need to reckon with this. Um, I've never tried it, but I feel like one of the worst ways to die would be to be buried alive in a cave. The cave just comes down on you. To be buried in an avalanche of snow. That just sounds awful. My palms are starting to tingle and sweat just saying it. This is not falling asleep and not waking up. (laughs) This is terrible. And yet, when compared to meeting the awesome face and wrath of God, it sounds great. 
it's totally preferable to be buried under a mountain. Yes, please, bury me alive as long as I don't have to face my creator. Friends, God's patience at this moment is meant to lead you to repentance. The only reason this has not happened to you is because of God's grace. Don't presume upon it. Don't waste it. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ so that you are shielded from the wrath to come. It's a train. It's moving down the tracks. We don't know when, but it's going to come to the station. If you do not hide in Jesus, on that day you will not be able to stand. He is giving you the opportunity right now to be sealed with the Holy Spirit and protected from the wrath to come. Who can stand? Who can stand? This is a, this is a question in the book of Revelation. Who can stand? We can stand. The church. Hear me. Every government, every leader, every military power, every movement, every Caesar, everything will pass away except for the church of Jesus Christ. Nothing can stop the advance of the gospel and the church because we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. We can stand because we take shelter under his wings. We can stand because he loves us and has made us a kingdom. We can stand because we conquered the world. I don't care what the riders do. Bring your worst. Black rider, red rider, white rider. It doesn't matter. Bring, bring the trumpets. Bring the bowls. Pour them out. It doesn't matter. You cannot stop the church. No person, no power, no persecution will be able to wipe the church off the face of the earth. So here's what we can do. We can laugh. And we can sing. And we can worship. In the face of suffering because the lamb in the midst of the throne is our shepherd. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for shielding us in Jesus Christ from the judgment that we deserve. Every one of us, Lord. And we give you honor and glory and praise. You are worthy to be praised with all of our being. And we thank you for the grace that came on that day on Calvary, the death of Jesus for his people, his resurrection, ascension, and one day his return. Lord, we are almost home and we cannot wait to feast at that table with you. So bring us home, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.